podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. The podcast that no, doesn't have any spares for Sunday. This week on Heart and Hand, let's just do it right Rangers. So, welcome to Heart and Hat and the Rangers Podcast. My name is David Edgar. I am your host, and I'm joined this week from uh, luxurious Oxfordshire, Mr. Stephen Smith. Hello, David. How are you? I am grand, mate. How are you? Um, are you I'm, on election footing? Yes, I'm standing as a candidate in a safe Conservative seat for the Labour Party. So, um, <laughs> it's a, an exercise in futility if there ever was one, but never mind. It has to be done. It makes me it makes me very proud, though. Um, th- th- there's nothing like. Going like knowing that you're going down in flames before you start doing it anyway. That that to me is what's truly British. Mm. You have to give people a choice, and of course, the other thing is that the Liberal Democrats are running their traditionally dishonest campaign down here. You know about the health service and all of that. I think so. You know they've got to be kept in their box because they can't be trusted with the remote for the telly. Never mind with uh, any kind of position of government. Well, um, while this place is quite often, uh, I was going to say it should be a, an erection-free zone. I think that there's a couple of hard-ons that, that are generally round about uh, this podcast from time to time. But not this week. You're, you're the more intellectual wing of of the podders. Stephen, let's start then. Uh, there's loads to, to get into this week. Uh, let's start on Saturday, where Rangers continued. Um, what I think we can now call Pedro Cascina's unbeaten start as manager. Um, yeah. I think that after <laughs> after one win and two home draws, then you're clutching at straws. But I think after three wins and two draws, I think it's all right now to call it an unbeaten start. Um, with a 2-0 victory over Partick Thistle. To, uh, uh, to, for me, the, the most pleasing thing about it was... It, was what on paper we would always have classed as a routine home win and it was a routine home win and given our season I took a lot of encouragement from that I think there's a concern David that we seem to be starting games really slowly Um, and again in Saturday it was quite obvious that for the first 20-25 minutes of the game Rangers were you know very mediocre and couldn't string more than two or three passes together, and that was that was a bit of a concern. But once we got into the game and got the goal, I think we looked comfortable then. And I think the thing that's impressed me most about Kashinia's teams has been the fact that we don't look like conceding cheap goals the way we did under Warburton. He's clearly sorted that defence out. Even uh, with Beerman and Bates as, as half of it, you know, we've got two kids playing there, you know, who have played what less than 10, 10 first team games between the two of them. Uh, and I think that both, particularly Bates, has developed you know, much better. He had a pretty shaky start. Beerman looks apart already, and, and I agree with what you said to me earlier on this week. I'd have him in the, I'd have him in the first team on merit. You know, mm-hmm. he's quick, Absolutely. he's got a good touch, he defends, and he, he you know, he's a good option going forward. Uh, he's, he's what you would expect a product of Manchester City's academy to be. You know, technically excellent, and I'd like to see him as a fixture in that first team now. Well, let's break all. I mean, there's there's a lot in there, and let let's break it down bit by bit. We'll start with the start because I think you're absolutely right. It is a concern. I think that this team has a lot of honest trials. I think that there are guys of 
varying ability and we can we can talk about that. We we have talked about it in the past. Scott and I spent a lot of time on the strikers last week in particular, I think, are a, a good example of that. But yeah. we lack a guy who can give you the spark to get things started. I don't think we have a tempo setter. And I think that it takes something within the match to get Rangers going uh, one way or another. And against Motherwell a few weeks ago, Motherwell started like a train and it really took Rangers going. Um, we went a goal down or played, and it really took those changes from Pedro to spark something. And it was something dramatic and strange and weird yeah. and uh, and comedy at times, but it was it still took that. Uh, Aberdeen, it took that fantastic finish from Kenny Miller to, to really yeah. prompt us into the game. And it does seem that the team... Whether or not it's something to do with the psychological makeup, whether it's the lack of what you might term in that sort of old-fashioned British way, a leader, they yeah. they don't seem to arrive fully formed into a match. They seem to take a little while to feel the opposition out. With the the problem being, as we saw at Kilmarnock, that when that happens, if you don't get a goal, uh, then the other team grows in confidence. They settle into the match. And it's a much more difficult game. If it's 0-0 for Rangers at half-time, I always think it's a much more difficult game than it was if it was 0-0 at the start because you're playing a different side then. Um, You're playing a side that are 10% raised because of that, because they're feeling confident and you really need to to come up with a plan. And I thought you're right on Saturday. What sparked us into life was your man Behrman, um, who eventually almost, I think, through no options in front of him because the movement was so poor, decided he would just just try and go alone. And he broke forward as as he's showing a talent for doing so far and hit a shot that took a deflection narrowly wide for a corner. From that yep. corner, we forced a series of corners and a bit of pressure. And then the game yep. suddenly moved 40 yards forward. And from that, we got the goal from Kenny Miller from a terrific tavern across. But we do seem to lack that guy who can just go out and say, right, lads, this is the tempo, follow me. Yeah. I'd agree, I'd agree with that. The, the nearest this squad has to a leader, David Ann suggests, is Kenny Miller. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Senior, in terms of seniority, but, but in terms of the position he plays, he sets the example for the younger younger players, all of whom are younger than me, um, in terms of effort, endeavour. Uh, you know, he's, he's not he's not a, a clinical, a deadly striker, but he will always give you effort. He's a technically decent player, you know, and um, and I think is as close to a leader as we've got, and and shows it because because Lee Lee Wallace, in my view, is not uh, either captain material or uh, a leader, unless I'm I'm missing something obvious. And I guess the only other person in that squad that would that, that would even be in the ballpark for that would be would be Danny Wilson. And I would and I, I hesitate to mention his name because really it's only under uh, Pedro's guidance he appears to have remembered that he's actually quite a decent defender and a decent football player mm-hmm. because he's been a bomb scare for most of the season. And now he, now he actually looks a bit more like the player we thought we had sold to Liverpool you know, all those, all those oh, years ago. Yeah. So I reckon I reckon the team needs one. I don't think in terms of that midfield trio, you know, either well, Terrell and Hyman are low knees. Mm-hmm. And Jason Holt, again... Great effort, and again, much improved under Kashina. But you know, I don't think is is the sort of leader that sets the tempo for that team and get, will grab it by the scruff, or has enough authority to start ordering people about and and getting them to, you know, give that extra ten percent or win your game. 
No. Hulk to me is the brilliant NCO of a side. You know, he's a guy that you would want with you in the trenches. He's you know a guy who will follow orders to the letter, full of enthusiasm, full of drive, um, and he'll back you up. But I don't think you're right. I don't think he's the guy that's coming up with a plan and then saying right, this is what we're going to do. But Holt and Wilson actually, I think, both fall into a category. Um, of of players and I was glad you mentioned Wilson there because very much so noticeably better noticeably better since Pedro came yeah. in and to me it's been a simplification of the roles that is causing them he's not asking them to do things that they're not capable of and I know that that sounds so simplistic and it is but it was something that was happening we saw consistently under Warburton where he was asking players to perform tasks that they simply did not have the ability to do so for instance Holt who was being asked to not only be a box to box player but also to be a link up between the strikers and midfield but also to be a, a playmaker and a number 10 and pick a pass yeah. whereas instead and you know because we only had the three in midfield to get back and plug holes and to help screen the defence an almost impossible amount of jobs for anyone not called N'Golo Kante. And, <laughs> no, it's okay watching um, Chelsea and saying, well, right, Jason, I want you to play like him, but there's a reason he's at Chelsea, there's a reason he's so highly rated. Whereas now, Jason Holt has been turned into this much more, I hate to say defensive player, because that, that sort of indicates that he's just sitting in front of the back four, which clearly isn't, but... In that three, he's the workhorse, he's the tackler, he's the guy who'll close down space. And mm-hmm. he's being asked to do three or four things and yeah. just concentrate on them as opposed to nine or ten things. And he's revelling in it. Wilson, yeah. a class exactly the same. Danny Wilson is being asked to defend and look after the young boy next to him. He's not being asked to step out the ball, to hit 60-yard passes to you know push up into midfield and make and he's not being asked any of that he's being told your job is to stop the opposition scoring and help out the kid next to you and you're absolutely right he's looking like a center half again rather right. than this sort of languid distracted so-called ball playing center half who doesn't have great ball playing skills and to me again he looks a guy who's enjoying his football again yeah yeah, he is, and, and uh, I think he's a stick on uh, to start against uh, friends across the city at the weekend, David. And to, and to be honest, you know, in, in terms of his partner, I would, I would, uh, I would keep Bates playing. I think for two, for two reasons: one, one of which is he's there on merit. You know, he, he's improved, uh, and the other one is that that bringing, you know, I, I guess the option would be to bring Clint Hill back in and to partner Wilson. In terms of experience, etc. But I mean, the one thing is, and I think all of the more progressive managers have said this: if you're young enough, you're good enough. It's a cliche, but having said that, you're never going to get the good experience or be able to prove yourself or to get the kind of miles under your belt that will make you a better player if you don't get the opportunity. Because if not, if not in this season, when? When are we going to find out? Well. Devil. Boy showed enough in terms of development. I think he's good enough in the air. You know, Wilson's obviously taken the senior role in that and thrived and revelled in it. That may very well be part of why some of the things that you were saying about his improvement has been tangible, more responsibility, and he's you know. And it, let's remember he was doing that at Hearts. You know, when we signed him again, he was captain at Tynecastle. So he clearly, you know, and if he's big enough to play for Liverpool, to fancy himself going to play for Liverpool as he did a few years ago, then clearly still. He still got it there, so I would I would keep that back four as it is at the moment because I think it's fine. 
I can see that point, but to, mm. to play devil's dick advocate, mm. um, Beerman, you're absolutely right. I no complaints at all, or, or no issue. I don't even think there's an argument for it um, about playing him because his temperament looks fine. And sure, he can have a bad game, but anyone can have a bad game. For me, it won't affect him. He doesn't look the type, as you say. There's a confidence and a maturity um, to his play that, to me, you're right. To, to me, Miles Beerman is a member of the first team squad now. It's as simple as that. He doesn't, you know, go. He's not a youngster trying to break it. He is in contention to play, uh, and on current form, incidentally, thoroughly deserves to play. Um, certainly ahead of a half at Lee Wallace, who's who, you know, Lee Wallace. I, I don't think he's been showing his best form, but I think part of that has been a lack of fitness. Um, and mm-hmm. the fact that there was nobody else to play uh, There clearly was And now, yeah, absolutely Bates is slightly different um, mm-hmm. He has looked nervous He hasn't really mm-hmm. done anything wrong People are, I think, being quite quick to jump on When he does make an error But he does have that sort of air of nervousness about him Not so much on Saturday, I have to say But generally speaking, he's he started games nervously And got better Which is thoroughly understandable I mean, so far, we, he's had his debut It's a big match Away to Aberdeen in his second match, which he knew was a huge match for the club, and then he's in yeah. his home debut. You know, he's had three big occasions, so nerves, I think, are understandable. Yeah. The issue would be that I would play him. This might sound a bit of a cop. I would, I would, if there is another option, and by that I mean Clint Hill. Yes. Rather than you know let let's yeah, write off the, yeah, yeah let let's write off Senderos as a bad lot and a non-option. Right, that's just. Mm-hmm. Done. Forget it. An aberration, and yeah. you know we let's speak no more about it. But Kiernan, he's had he's had the odd good game, and he's had some bloody awful games. Um, I don't quite think that he would be somebody I would be rushing to put Bates out the team for. So there's that, and I also don't think he plays well with with Wilson. So no. then, so then David, got... can I sum can I sum my opinion of Rob Kiernan up with an analogy? Rob Kiernan has got six cans of lager, but he doesn't have the plastic bit that holds it all together. <laughs> yeah. He's got the he's got the raw elements to be a good player. You know, he has in my view he has the speed and the athletic ability. He just there's a missing component. It was like Lee McCullough was another player I felt like that, who ought to be much, much better than he actually was. Yeah. And I, don't, I think Kiernan's as good as he's going to get. I'm sorry. Oh, yes, yeah. So you know, and I don't think he will make the centre half. I can't forgive or forget, and I suspect no Rangers fan I saw the game can forget what happened at Hamden against Hibs in a hurry, where it was one of the worst defensive displays I think I've ever seen mm. from a from a single Rangers player in my many five decades watching this football club. Yeah. Come on uh, in, Mr. And Stokes. You know, uh, there's I, I the ball corner. Feel there's a mistake in him. Well, yeah, that that's the thing, and that's why for me, I think that playing it up, I'd be like, well, yeah, I probably would be tempted to go with Bates. If Hill was fit, I would go with him definitely for the semi. The league game is slightly different because it is a league game, and with the best will in the world, um, that's when you blood players. It's yeah. the fourth league game of the season. Um, while we want to beat them to break their unbeaten record, while we want to beat them to beat them. Um, mm-hmm. It's not the the end of the world. A cup semi final obviously has future ramifications, and we you want to get through it. And if he has a bad game, it can take a while. And he, you know, the fact that we've seen him be nervous, you know, you've been able to to physically see the lad be nervous. That 
that would maybe indicate that if if he took a right doing on on Sunday, it would be mm-hmm. difficult to, or it would take a while to piece him back together again. So I look, I can see arguments for and against. If it for me, if it's Bates or Kieran, then I go Bates. If it's Bates or Hill, I go Hill. Um, but yeah. but yeah, I mean, at least it's it's. Uh, at least there is that option because if you said to us uh, a few weeks choices, ago, yeah. yeah, if you yeah. said a few weeks ago that that we were struggling to get Hill um, or Kieran fit, then we would have been in, in trouble. And the fact that you go, well, it's okay, we've got Wilson, he's playing well. Well, first of yeah. all, that's one up on pretty much our defence all season. That's and then, not a sentence. I think any of us would have thought we'd have said no, no. at the beginning of the year. Is it as simple as just we've got a manager who drills defences? Because it does look like that. Okay, they're still, but I mean. It's, it's, the difference is huge. You, you can feel it. They, they don't feel, and they don't. Uh, in the past, they sort of, you know, commuted this feeling to the stands that every attack was a potential goal, and you don't feel yeah. that way now. now. Of course, we, you know, they're not Berezi, Costa, Costa, Maldini to Saudi level yet, but they oh. at least seem to know where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do, and what the general plan of action is. And is it as simple as just having a manager who? You know, takes aside the defence and says, "Right, lads, these are the drills." Somebody, somebody told me that that we've conceded twenty five corners uh, since Kashina took over, and we've conceded one goal in that in those five games mm. from twenty five corners. Now, if that had been a Warburton team, David, I suspect we'd have been, you know, significantly more oh, than you'd that. Be, I think you're looking I, at five or six. I, yeah, 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 I, I think it is just a matter of. Asking your defenders to do the primary job first, which is defend. We've got none of that. We always play it out from the back, split the split the centre halves, keep our rolls out, and we try and play from our own half. Nonsense. It's mixed up and varied enough to for that not to be a liability. Because against any half decent team, and Celtic are a half decent team at least, uh, then they will know and come up and pressurise you. And I suspect uh, in, in terms of uh, in terms of FC theme pub, I don't think. Dembele can play as badly as he did the last time against us. So, you know, I think we really need to be on our on our metal this weekend uh, to get a result against them. And and keeping keeping him in his box, I think, is a really important part of that. Same with Armstrong. Um, and and the, the one thing I'll tell you, the one thing that has puzzled me was everybody going tonto about Scott Brown uh, escaping a sanction for being sent off at the weekend uh, up up in the Highlands. I actually want him to play. I think he's a liability. I think he's the most overrated footballer in Scotland, bar none. And I can't really see why people are getting their knickers in or not about him not playing. For me, playing. I think I, I like to see him in a Celtic, uh, uh, you know, in a Celtic lineup against us. I think he's terrible. Yeah, well, I, I, there's a three-line whip up here that you know Scott Brown is a great player, and no criticism shall be shall be accepted. And it's one of mm. these strange things that it comes from the media comes from people's in the game. If you talk to Celtic supporters when they're not, you know, together, because when they get I together, it's, it. it's like adding magnesium to, to oxygen, you know, it just, they, 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 when they get together, they, they, they almost all resort to type, you know, take their own character on and, and that wee mini play of mentalness that they do. But if you speak to them individually, not many of them rate them, you know, they, and it's the same things, runs about a lot, mad, starey eyes, doesn't actually contribute much. But, if you know, the the press up here, the pundits, it's just Scott Brown's a great player, no more arguments, and that's it. And I think if you're just an average fan, you're sort of looking at it going, 
Really? And he's not highly rated by Celtic supporters, by Rangers supporters, but by supporters of other teams. For me, when it comes to Sunday, the guys that we need to watch for the next two weeks are Armstrong, mm-hmm. who, who, who's the ability to control a game from midfield and has done against us before, Sinclair and Dembele. And yep. not easy to keep the three of them quiet, but if you were to keep the three of them quiet, then you would give yourself a basis to, to go on and try and, and to win the match. Now, in terms of being able to... A couple of things I want to discuss with you. The mm-hmm. uh, Terrell Hindman midfield partnership, yep. best exemplified by that lovely second goal that we got on Saturday, yeah. um, seems to be working quite well. And I think that... Terrell is possibly a guy that I want an apology to because when he first arrived, he did look to me like he was towing an invisible caravan. He has a language style even now, but there is a noticeable difference in fitness and it's the speed at which he's able to do things now. The, the speed yeah. of thought, game, the accuracy. Time, David, David, it might just be something as simple as game time. It, no, it, it looks that way. It does, because he, he does have that sort of languid, Nico Cranchard style, you know, that he's yeah. never going to look like a guy who's running about full pelt. He just doesn't play that way. But no. there's a sharpness to his game now that wasn't there before, a kind of crispness and a rhythm to his passing. Um, and Heinemann is the, the guy in the side, or one of the two, I'll come to the other one, one of the two potentially, who can unlock the defence, who who can go past the man, who can do that little bit of special. And I, I do yeah. like the partnership between him, Terrell and Holt, where each oh. has a defined role. You know, that, that Terrell is your quarterback, Holt plays either side of him as a guy who buzzes about and puts pressure on the ball and tries to win it and give it to him. And Heinemann is allowed to play forward and look for opportunities in between the space of midfield and up front. And it, it's yep. working well. I would yeah. I would probably go on, on Saturday with... Um, I'd add into that mix. I'd add Tavernier on the, on the right. If, yep. if, uh, if Hodgson was fit to play, I'd, I'd play Beerman on the left, Hodgson on the right, um, and play... Tavernier in to give you a bit more dig on that right hand side and then you also aren't asking Heinemann you aren't saying then well we'll need you to come back more he he still has the freedom to go forward and try and make things happen on the yeah. wing though the other mm-hmm. wing a few weeks ago would have been automatic would have been Barry Mackay now Did- there's a lot of talk about Barry Barry Mackay's an, uh, one of the most divisive players that I can remember in a long long time at Rangers um that yeah. you know, certainly you look online, you look at on social media. There are people who really, really, really like him and who rate him incredibly highly, and there are people who really don't. I mean, who who genuinely dislike his manner and don't rate him. I mean, that that's the thing. It's not mm-hmm. that I think they don't like him as an individual or anything, yeah, any nonsense like that. I think it's just that they don't see what other people see in him. I would class myself as probably somewhere in the middle, but mm-hmm. leaning towards, I think he's a good player. Probably not as good as his, his defenders make him out to be. And okay. nowhere near as bad as his critics have him. However, Saturday, mm-hmm. there is all this stuff. He's turned in a new contract. Could just be the first, you know, I don't don't know about you, but if I've been negotiating for a deal before, I've not tended to take the first offer. Um, in, my, in my experience, David, nobody I've ever represented, advised, or dealt with has ever taken a fir- ever taken a first offer. No, it's, on you know, Not it's, it's uh, usually there's a bit of negotiating to go on, and mm-hmm. it does though play into this. Um, it does though, though, though play into this sort of 
thought process of ah, he doesn't care, he doesn't want to be here. So I can understand why yeah. people have maybe read something into that that might not necessarily be there. But when you are in the middle of a contract talk, it, I think it's important not to play the way he did on Saturday. Now, I thought he was yeah. a very fortunate man to be in the side because I I think Joe Dodu had every yeah. right to, you know, in the, the parlance, be banging at the manager's door after the match and saying, or why am I not in the side? I think I'd done enough. Mackay got the start and it was his worst game for Rangers, certainly for you know post Ali Rangers, certainly since he became a first teamer uh, under Warburton. Uh, ah, he was poor. It was poor. But it wasn't so much that he had a poor game because that can happen, as he looked. I think there's only two ways of looking at it. You can look at it generously and say he looks short of confidence because he knows he's short of form, mm-hmm. or you can look at it uh, a bit more mean spiritedly and say he wasn't at it at all. He wasn't focused. He he his body language was was awful. His attitude was honking, and I'm not sure where I come down on on what side of that because he did look out of sorts. But I've seen him look out of sorts before. And yet, not give off that vibe of I don't want to be on here. I don't want to play. And it was no surprise. And in fact, it was actually a really positive sign as a fan to see that Pedro just at half time hauled him. That's um, enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think David, that part of that contrast is the fact that Kashina's obviously improved the attitude of so many of the players in that team. And I'm thinking there, Tavernier and Wilson. And Holt, particularly three of them, I think, to varying degrees, have improved their their attitude and application. And it doesn't appear that Mackay is is one of them. And I think he is the enigma. He clearly has the talent, and he, I mean, he's the quickest, he's the quickest player at Ibrox. So he's he's speedy. He's got a trick, and he has the ability and the potential to get you out of your seat. But deservedly, and he can't have any complaints about being hold hold off at half time. I thought he was. He was, I agree with you, I think that's the worst game I've seen him play for a very long time. So, he has the talent, but the question is whether he has the attitude and application to demonstrate that talent and apply himself and change a game, because he ought to be taking games by the scruff of the neck if he's getting decent possession, as he will under this team, you know, because he will get the ball. He needs to demonstrate, it's always the case, you know, there's lots and lots of players out there who have huge amounts of talent and potential, but don't do it because they can't apply themselves. Domini worked hard enough. When they've been rattled in a tackle, Domini just got up and get the ball again. You know, they they, they want to hide. And it's very, very easy, you know, even at a professional level to hide, to look as if you're chasing about and not, but you're not actually doing it. So it's a real shame if we can't actually realise his ability and potential and have it on our behalf because you, you've seen it in flashes and glimpses this season and the last and last season for that matter. He has the ability particularly when he links up very cleverly with Lee Wallace. You know, he's a creative player. He's got a good sense of space and positional ability that last third. Hyman's another one. You know, we have the potential there to, you know, to, to do them, or to do any opponent damage in the last third if we're clever enough about it. But he has to show a hell of a lot more than he did on Saturday. That was that was pretty pretty average. Yeah, I mean, my, my team for Saturday would be, uh, or Sunday rather, would be a 4 5 one. Um, going mm-hmm. to uh, you know going to a four four two four three three whatever as we attack. Um, for mm-hmm. me, I would I would be playing Mackay um, if his yeah. attitude is right. And I don't know that. I don't know if he just had a bad game on Saturday. Um, only mm-hmm. the manager sees him. The old cliche we've talked about this the last few weeks sees him in training. Uh, 
if if he feels that it was just a one off, I would play him on Saturday on Saturday Sunday, and yeah. I would have Tavernier out on the right, and I would play Kenny Miller as the sole striker. If yeah. the manager doesn't think that's the case, then I'd have Mackay on the bench and I'd have Waghorn out there. Waghorn is not anywhere near uh, no. technically the player that he is. No. He's not as he proved on Saturday where I thought he had a good game in terms of his attitude. He's another one I'd add, incidentally, to the improved attitude recently. Um, manager clearly likes yep. him. He's, he's, he's started him in, in all the matches. He, mm. I thought, was, you know, it was such a microcosm of a Martin Waghorn performance on Saturday in that he gave it everything, came off that field, you know, with the shirt soaked. You couldn't have asked for any more from him, but he needs eight or nine yeah. chances to score a goal. Well, he's, he's not. He's not the. He's not clinical. He'll just never have that that clinical element to him. And he, you know, there, there, there's a good player in there, David. I think, and, and yeah. I don't know. I don't think he's found his position. And I actually genuinely don't think he's a striker. I think I would have uh, Miller, Garner, and Dodo in the team ahead of him. You know, in a, in a front position, uh, he might be a decent midfielder. I maybe think about playing Holt, Heinemann, Terrell. And Waghorn in midfield if Mackay's not up for it. And and you know, Miller and uh, partnered by either Dodo or Garner in that order on merit, I think. But other than that, and, and you and I, you know, maybe differ on whether Beerman or uh, Hill should start. Base. I think the team more or less picks itself uh, in terms of where it's been the last four or five games. So, you know, I think that's more if they show anything like the attitude we showed the last time uh, we played their um, uh, friends across the city then. You know, I think we've got a really good chance. Yeah, I think we've got a chance. I'm realistic about it. If we go out and play at our best and they go out and play at their best, they will win because they have better players than us currently and that's a fact. However, it never works out like that in football. It'll be down to details. It'll be down to a myriad of things. It'll be down to if you can win your battles on the day. And Mm -hmm. it'll be... I think the key thing for us remains that if... We make three chances, and they make three chances. It's who takes the most. Um, and previously against Celtic, we haven't been able to do that. They've been more clinical. When their opportunities have come, they've taken them. When our opportunities have come, we haven't. Um, and if we can get that right on Sunday, then then we have a chance. See, at least though, and this was about the whole why do you make a change in the middle of a season argument. It's because we're going into this game with a bit of hope. Whereas, mm-hmm. had this game rolled around and we'd just been killing time to the end of the season under Warburton or you know, under a caretaker, then you wouldn't have that. The new manager has come in. He has shown enough in the first couple of months of the season to indicate mm-hmm. that he's a guy who knows what he's doing and that's all you can really ask for. And we're going into this game thinking, okay, we'll need a bit of uh, rub of the green, but if we can get it, then we are capable of winning the match. And to put that into context, when we played them early on the season, for instance, at Hamden in the League Cup, mm-hmm. I don't think many Rangers fans felt that that was the case at all. I think that we expected to take a bit of a drubbing that day. And that's not a feeling I like as a Rangers fan going into any semi-final, certainly domestically. Yeah. I mean, after, um, you and I will have watched Rangers teams after after they've won the league and it's inevitable that the foot comes off the gas. So I think, in the, I expect Celtic to be up for the semi-final, but, but I think it's much harder to motivate yourself once you've actually 
achieve what you set out to do. And I think they're, they're Celtic's main achievement this season will have been to win the league. Uh, you know, and, and obviously that that beats us, which is their, their obsession. So they'll be they'll be up for it, but I, I'm not sure they'll be at the kind of competitive levels that they were earlier on in the season. And let's face it, I mean, being on being honest and as objective as I can be about it, David, they're not all that. No, no. They're, they're better than Rangers. They're, they're you know their squad's better. They've got more depth and more quality, but they're not all that. I think they're, they're showings in Europe. Showed, showed that and as far as we're concerned the main improvement that I wanted to see has already happened and our manager has made us more competitive and we've stopped conceding daft goals because we had no assurance that we weren't going to let in you know, daft goals having 80-90% of possession then you know, against teams in the first attack we left ourselves wide open and we concede goals Either from set pieces or da- or just daft, you know, silly, uh, silly goals. So I don't think I don't think we'll, we'll do that. But you know, so I expect it to be much, much closer, uh, and us to be much more competitive. And I think we've got a shot at it, you know, because of course it's, you know, if things don't go according to plan, you know, that the Celtic support are not very uh, forgiving of their own team. They're they're so obsessed with not just beating us but absolutely battering us into the ground that if we if they don't do that then they're going to be screaming and shouting in the, the way that the only they can so hopefully we'll get their crowd behind uh, behind them or on their backs I should say uh, and maybe change the paradigm a little bit mm. Well in terms of that we had a, an illustration this week of that as you see the kind of classic Celtic screaming and shouting when uh, they Suffered from what can genuinely only be called a ridiculous decision. Um, a penalty mm-hmm. was given to Ross County. Those pro Ross mm-hmm. County referees strike again. Um, the big oh. teams always get the decisions, etc. Yeah. Uh, and and it was a terrible decision. And we got the fully fledged Celtic grievance machine kicked into gear. Um, mm-hmm. Immediately forgotten where previous dodgy penalties they'd had this season. St Johnson springs to mind. And yep. straight away it became about. Masonic refs, the global conspiracy, etc., etc. Yeah. Now, a few, yeah, a few things. Yeah, a few things about it. Firstly, they have already won the league. Yeah. This result has no impact whatsoever on their season. Secondly, then the argument would be they're going for a whole undefeated season. Fair enough. Good point. Yeah. It didn't cost them the match. It was to equalise. Okay, so this this referee then has cheated them, exposed uh-huh. the cover up for no fucking reason whatsoever, <laughs> right? And then they have gone tonto, yep. absolutely tonto, uh-huh. for no fucking reason whatsoever. And I've been thinking about it, and the reason that I think, because I think to myself. How can sensible people hold that idea in their head? It's like people who are creationists. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like otherwise normal, sensible people who think that a man in the sky planted dinosaur bones in the earth to fool people. Yeah, to fuck, to fuck with us, as yeah. Bill Hicks said. Yeah, yeah, to fuck with us, basically, yeah. God. Um, and it's... When I, when I meet someone like that, and you know they're often perfectly normal on the outside, and then they're like, "Okay, you believe literally Adam came from Eve's rib." Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. Eve came from Adam's rib, and I, all right, mate, uh, I'm just gonna 
walk over here and not speak to you. And I was thinking about that with the Celtic supporter, why they are so irate and they believe such patent nonsense. Because I saw one the other day, I'm not even going to name him, but a formerly high-profile one who mm-hmm. was arguing with a journalist and somebody retweeted this because it's ludicrous. And the guy said, well, what about the ones you've had this season? He said, well, what about the ones against us? Um, for instance, the handball in the Inverness Cali semi um, two seasons ago. Uh-huh. Two seasons ago. And the George yeah. Cadet what? <laughs> so that would be two in the last 22 years. You know? expected Willie, Mal- Willie Maley's name to be dragged. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's it. That. It's like, you know, forget all the ones we've got. And I think it's because it's when you start from... The Celtic fans' frustration comes from the fact that they start from a false premise, which is yep. Rangers don't exist. Yep. Right? So then they say to everyone, Rangers don't exist. And of course, everyone who isn't mental says, well, yes, they do. That's them over there. Um, <laughs> the team you're playing and you're all running about desperately trying to get tickets for and are obsessed by. But anyway... So the team that you charged 52 quid for yeah. to watch at home yeah. when you charged 43 quid for Champions League games, yeah. that team... That team, that yeah, yeah. The, the team that you phone up national radio about on a nightly basis, the the team who <laughs> you know more about the, the makeup of their accountancy than you do about your under-20 side, that team. So when you start I, off from a lie, right, and, a, and, a, and an insane thing, and you then go and you try you extrapolate it and the world ignores it, you then can say, well, they're all liars, therefore everything they say must be a lie. Yep. And it, yeah, you, and that's that's what I think comes from. So, to you or I, that's a terrible decision. That referee, your Scottish refs are shite. Um, he's cost us two points. Ah, well, we've won the league. Fuck it, right? Mm. We've had the odd one this season. Shit happens, move on. That's not the yeah. thought process they apply. They then go, ha, um, there you go, Masonic conspiracy. I bet you're 30 points ahead. You've won the league. It's a shit conspiracy. I be- yeah. Well, you're only saying that because you're all liars. Anyway. That's what I think it is. And I think it stems from, if you begin your, your belief system from something that's quite clearly ludicrous, and then mm-hmm. you use anyone disagreeing with you as evidence that the whole world is wrong. Yeah, confirmation bias, I think they call that, yeah. don't you? and yeah. it, you see it with them all the time. It's why they can never accept getting anything happening to them in Europe, for example. Or it's why they yeah. can't accept when they go down south and people are very nice about Rangers and you see, you know, you, you have, if Sky Sports put a nice tweet about us, there's, the first 300 replies are always Celtic fans. And it's because they are so incapable of just taking a step back from their madness and looking at the world as it actually is. So you get this situation where Rangers are going to play Celtic um, and, you know, history dictates, you know, obviously a team from the Protestant heritage and a team from the Catholic heritage and that, you know, one team has represented this community, one team is that. It's not that now, but that's what it has been and there are... You know, but a century, over a century of battles about that. You have this situation where the match will be refereed by a member of the religion of that, the one side, who is a teacher at a yes, school exclusively. Teacher. Yeah, yeah, at yeah. a school exclusively for yeah. that religion. Yes. Yet they mm-hmm. think he is bigoted mm-hmm. against that religion and therefore 
will take it out on their team. A man who's devoted his life work to teaching that fucking religion to children is apparently a bigot who hates that religion and will show it up through the medium of football. Not through politics, not through, you know, far right, extreme, no, no, through no. football. Now, no. that's fucking insane. No, yeah. no sentient human being can believe that. <laughs> and like I say, for me, it's flat earth society at the best. Yous don't exist. Yes, we do. No, you mm-hmm. don't. Where are you going on Sunday? Oh, I'm going to the semi-final to watch yeah. a team you don't believe exists. Very fucking yeah. good. Well, David, I think sanity, my, my problem with a big section of Celtic supporters is that sanity's taken a holiday and hasn't ever returned. Mm. You know, really, effectively, in my view, since 1989, when we signed Morris Johnson, uh, I don't think they've, they've ever really recovered from that as a, as a blow. Because the interesting thing there, it was always seen before that Rangers and Celtic fans were two sides of the same coin. Uh, and more or less equivalent. There was a moral equivalency there, you know. And, and uh, what I realised then was that Celtic fans, in terms of the, the perceived sectarianism of Rangers, not signing Roman Catholics, etc., they didn't actually want Rangers to sign Roman Catholics. They were quite happy if Rangers didn't, so they could point at them and say, we've always been an inclusive club. They're a shower of bigots. We're different from them. We're better than them. And it was a high horse mentality. And the signing of Morris Johnson, and even since then, the Roman Catholic captains we've had, heroes like George Albert, or Vino Gattuso, or, or no, Lorenzo sure. Amoruso there, or I suspect, manager, I suspect our current manager is a Portuguese man, is very probably going to be a Roman Catholic, as I guess his staff will be. Mm. And actually, I've never, ever heard, and I mean never, heard a Rangers fan even have a conversation about that. No, I, that it's about, I haven't and this job. It's it's 2017, and we're kind of you know we've kind of moved on from there. But 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 you're right. I mean the the whole um, selective amnesia thing's really interesting from Celtic fans because uh, Moussa Dembele, like Henrik Larsson before him, exceptional. I think he's a very decent striker. Not like Larsson was exceptionally talented as a striker, but he's also a diver. Yeah. You know, both of them died and it, it marred their game as, as an objective football observer. You go, they go down very, very easily. Great players, but they go down easily. And that's it. It doesn't mean that we think they're cheats, although they are cheats, yeah. uh, or anybody else thinks that they're cheating there. It just means that there's a rounded picture to see uh, there. So, you know, what's the problem uh, with that? But you've got, some, you've got a really uh, peculiar attitude because I, I've occasional I've learned now not to even have these conversations in Facebook with the Celtic supporters I have as friends or, or friends on Facebook because I don't think they understand. We have a section of you and I know we have a small section of our support who who are kind of obsessed about Celtic and about about what went on with you know with, with various child protection issues and you know I'm not gonna go into any kind of detail. That that whole stuff who go on and on about that obsessively. However Celtic's main fans group, you know, the Green Brigade, they kind of officially, you can have this section, lads, you know, they, mm. they are, never have a game against us where they don't have a banner that references uh, Rangers. Mm. You think, okay, go ahead. And it's all about, it's all about us, you know, this team that doesn't exist. Why are you not dead is effectively their kind of starting point. Mm. And I think it's quite worrying, really. I mean, I, I, I uh, have been a Rangers fan all my life. As my mother and father, my brother were, all my friends were, gone, love my club, love to support it, it's not perfect, 
lots, you know, I've had lots of issues with lots of fans about lots of lots of what people have done, but it's my football club, and you know, I'm loyal to it. I've tried my best to kind of support it and to change it in the way I wanted it to be so that it reflects my values and all the rest of it. And that's it. I don't really care about other teams. I'm a Rangers supporter. And I don't understand why more Celtic supporters aren't Celtic supporters rather than anti-Rangers mm. supporters. That's that's the that's the change, I think, in the last 20 years particularly where, where it, it's about... It's a really kind of obsessive... Dangerous. They're, they're they're the stalker. You know they're the stalker at the end of the road, peeping mm. over your fence. And I don't understand it. I, I I'm think, no in them. I, I think the, the thing that's odd is the is that sort of obsessive need to be a victim, and it's very difficult for them at the moment to to do that. Yet they try very hard. So, for instance. I wonder if that's part of the reason why Sunday is leapt upon. You know, what, what is a meaningless game with a pretty mm. meaningless decision that you know under normal run of the mill football would be forgotten about within in seconds. It's because they can then turn around and say, "Ha ha! See, we're right. We are the victims." Whereas, of course, you know, you're not. You're the top club in Scotland at the moment. You are by far the most influential at the SFA. Rangers have come off a period of being fucking demoted to the third division, liquidated, being um, yeah. run by crew. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. nobody logically walking into this situation and seeing it would then look at it and go, all right, so uh, so you're the club That's that... Everyone... Which one's the establishment club? Yeah, exactly. It's just utter nonsense, you know. But they they so revel in that victimhood yeah. that they're so easy, reluctant David, David, to give up. It's easy, it's easy. It's easy. It's somebody else's fault. It's poor, poor us. It's I can't get this job. I didn't get that opportunity because of this reason. And that's a much much easier thing than going. Well, maybe there's maybe there's something else at play, or maybe it's my fault or responsibility, or maybe things have changed. Much easier to play the perma victim. Much easier. Yeah, and I think that I think that has it, which is all just yet more reasons why. God, if you're up there um, and you're not too busy planting dinosaur bones, uh, really it should be us on on Sunday, just so you know. Um, to be yeah. fair, he normally gets it right in semi-finals. So I'm very hopeful. Um, like I say, you know, certainly it won't come as a shock to anyone if, if uh, the, the cloven hooved ones were to, to win the match. But I, I would like us to win and I would like Hibs to win because I think we owe them one. Aye, that's true that. In the another club. Uh, yes, well, let's leave it at that, I think. Yeah. Um, all that remains for me to do then is a bit of housekeeping. First of all, thank our executive producer in London, Mr. Mike Lee and Miss Paul Miles. Um, also to say to anyone attending the live Heart and Hand pod, loud and clear, as nobody is calling it, uh, this Friday night at the Loudon Tavern and at Ibrox, just in case you turn up at the wrong ones, the one at Ibrox. Uh, it will be starting round about 7.30 for 8 o'clock, so be there around about half 7. If you can, that would be ideal. And uh, we're very much looking forward to it. There are no tickets. Please don't turn up without one. There are no spares. If you are on the guest list, if you've contacted me and you're on the guest list, then please contact me again just to remind me because I do tend to forget these things. And uh, we're very much looking forward to seeing you. There are no tickets. It's, it's names on the door. Please bring some form of ID that you bought the ticket, be it a bank card or a driver's licence because otherwise you will not get in. Um, I, I am reliably insured. I'm having to take a... I'm only kidding. I'm, I'm the star. Uh, what would it be without me? Now that Scott has made it clear that not only am I not allowed to Skype in, he will physically drive and drag me 
to go to it. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not to let him have to do anything technical. So we're we're very much looking forward to that. And uh, that's pretty much it then from us this week. You can get in touch with us, uh, Heart and Hand, uh, on Facebook. Just search for Heart and Hand and his podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ibrox Rocks. Scott's at Scott Heart Hand. Thank you very much, Stephen Smith. You're more than welcome, David. Pleasure as always. And I will. T- My name's Dave Edgar. I will talk to you again this time next week. Cheers. Bye. Podcast Network.